Chapter 10, The Barbershop. I went to church every Sunday and city barber every Saturday. I'm sure I needed to go to church. However, I got a weekly haircut, whether I needed it or not. Visits to city barber were an integral part of my growing up years. The establishment was located in the center of town, both literally and figuratively, right at the corner of First and Main. It had been in downtown Sugar Hill for as long as anyone could remember. Easy to find, convenient to spend time in, not out of the way to anywhere. On your way to the county courthouse? Then why not stop in when you finish with your business? Planning a lunch break at Clara's Diner? City Barber's right next door. And the gentleman who frequented the place had the pipeline to all the information that was of relevance to the community. If they didn't know about it, it probably wasn't worth talking about. Pick a subject, politics, finance, religion, including their perspective on fights in the church business meeting. Newcomers, weather, or football. The boys of City Barber knew about it and loved to tell the story. Adding to the southern charm of the place was Mr. Leroy Smithson. He was an older black gentleman who manned the shoeshine corner of City Barber. Either before or after the haircutting, Mr. Leroy worked his magic on the foot leather of the clients. I never remember him saying much. He was usually reading the paper when he wasn't engaged in shining, or when he was working, he was focused in concentration, leaving no detail untouched as it related to his chosen profession. He was the shoeshine expert in town. In fact, he was the one the family had hired to polish to perfection the shoes that were on old man Parker in his casket. Another thing Mr. Leroy was known for was a side hobby of his. He opened Coke bottles with his teeth. He did it without a set fee, but the boys of City Barber usually paid him a quarter, or two bits, as the old-timers classified that sum of money. They would hoot and cackle when he did it, and then usually tip him an extra quarter after he handed over the now-open bottle. Everybody loved Mr. Leroy, and the display of his gift was just another part of the entertainment. I spent my childhood wondering how those metal bottle caps didn't break his teeth or injure his gums, but he never seemed to have any problems. Sometimes, haircutting in the fall was particularly challenging. TV reception could be a bit hazy with the old rabbit ears antenna. The channels carrying the Tide or Tigers might not come in to the satisfaction of the clientele, and they would invariably grumble, fold up their ever-present Montgomery Advertiser newspaper, and file out, uttering their goodbyes and see-you-laters. They had to find a decent TV. It wasn't any easier on the owner, Ronnie Tompkins. He wanted to watch the game as badly as the next guy, but he knew he needed to pay attention to hairlines, ear hairs, and eyebrows, or he would be toast. A good man's haircut didn't get noticed as much as a bad one, which was significant, unwanted, negative advertising. Apart from judgment on his barbering skills, Mr. Ronnie, as he was called, was negatively discussed for a suspicious absence one year on the third Saturday in October. Everyone knew that Alabama played Tennessee on the third Saturday in October and up until that time had done so for more than 50 years. Mr. Ronnie had a sign on the door one third October Saturday which simply read, The proprietor of City Barber regrets that he is sick today. He hopes to be back on Monday afternoon. 
He escaped detection until a nephew of City Barber regular Peter Benson happened to stop in at a bar in Possum Ridge about 30 miles away. There was Mr. Ronnie, big as life, sitting at the bar watching the Bama UT game. When reported back through the family channels, not intentionally, but one of those, oh, by the way, interestingly, I was in Possum Ridge last Saturday and guess who I saw? Mr. Ronnie firmly denied it and swore it had to be his lookalike. Case closed from his perspective as he swore again that he was in bed with the flu. And he was fully recovered by Monday afternoon. Mr. Ronnie always closed City Barber on Monday mornings because he ate so much one Sunday night at the Methodist Church covered dish fried chicken dinner that he slept in on Monday morning. He realized right then how nice that was after a long weekend. So he closed City Barber until 1.30 on Monday afternoons, and his customers knew it and didn't complain. They planned around it, and in the autumns, saved their football commentaries of the previous Saturday for that time slot. Since I attended City Barber every Saturday, it held a firm place in my growing up years. The sights and smells were iconic and stayed with me for years. Hair tonic being forced out of its bottle by slapping and prodding. Mr. Ronnie sharpening his straight blade razor on a leather strap, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, doing so till it was sharp enough to cut through the hide of a feral hog. The dull, quiet roar of the electric razor on the neck, trimming those neck ears just before the removal swish of the white sheet guarding the upper body from fallen hair. An application of talcum powder, for reasons I didn't understand. The gentle push of the broom sweeping up hair. Mr. Leroy furiously wrapping his cloth around the back of the customer's shoes, right at the end of the shining. Hair cutting was the reason for City Barber's existence. But several men gathered day after day just to talk and tell stories. They didn't go to get the haircut. It was their social connecting point. They told the same stories over and over. Each time the stories were met by knee-slapping and howls and laughter like the inhabitants of City Barber had never heard them before. They talked about Tommy Lewis coming off the sidelines to make the tackle, and they would alternate between laughter, the old Rice boys didn't see that coming, and pride. Tommy just couldn't help it. He was just too full of Alabama. One of the regulars at City Barber had actually been at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas on that fateful New Year's Day, and his presence made the story even more real and more powerful. Particularly poignant was how he spoke of the collective gasp from the crowd when they saw Tommy jump into the field to play and stop cold Dickie Magel on his breakaway run. Another of the favorite stories told at City Barber had to do with an unplanned Sunday morning football practice. Alabama had failed the previous day to annihilate some hapless opponent like Ole Miss. They'd squeak by with just a few points victory, and so Coach Bryant announced that due to their sloppiness and embarrassing performance, They would have practice at 5.30 the next morning, which, of course, was Sunday. So the Crimson Tide showed up, and Bear informed the team that he had notified his preacher that he'd not be there that day, and then he commenced to put them through you-know-what. About 8.30, Bear announced, All right, all you Christian boys can go on shower and get ready for Sunday school and church. The rest of us are going to stay out here and practice. As the story goes, right then there was a mass conversion to Christianity. 
even though the regulars had heard the story many times. The whole barbershop crowd would hoot and holler, particularly if they just happened to be one among them who didn't know it. Then after the laughter played out, they'd quietly shake their heads, marveling at the dedication of Coach Bryant to mold a winner. That was college football in the great state of Alabama. Their teams won because they did some mysterious thing called wanting it. I wasn't exactly sure what wanting it or wanting it bad enough was, but it was what I was supposed to do when I played. Someone would follow with a reminder of how when Coach Bryant started at Texas A&M, he took two busloads of football players to a summer camp at some place in the deserted countryside called Junction City. Story goes that practice and drills and adapting to Bear's ways were so brutal that they only needed to go back home in one bus. The equivalent of one busload had deserted the Bear and blended into the Texas landscape, many at night hitchhiking or taking a commercial bus out of there. I reckon they found out they just didn't want it bad enough. The story I remember the most from City Barber was not funny. One day, just as Mr. Ronnie was deftly snipping the hair around the top of my ears, someone said, Did you boys go to old man Parker's funeral? Thought it was a real good service. Johnny Morris piped up. Yep, it was. Real sweet. And he looked real good in the casket. Charlie did a good job on it. I wasn't sure how you made a dead man look good, but I kept listening. Hey, anyone ever say how he died? I don't remember the cause of death being stayed in the obituary section in the advertiser. No, never did hear it. Any of you boys? For some reason at this point, Mr. Ronnie slightly but noticeably exhaled. While a small chorus in unison of grunts and head shaking was going on, one of the regulars noticed that Ronnie had stopped cutting my hair and acted like he knew something. Ronnie, do you know? Do you hear anything? City Barber is a place for sharing such local knowledge. What'd you hear? At this point, my dollar twenty-five haircut was grinding to a halt. Ronnie cleared his throat and leaned back on the counter and said, Well, as a matter of fact, I did hear. It had to do with news from Alexander Smith. Alexander Smith! Johnny Morris bellowed. You mean the number one poker player in North Alabama, that no-good Alexander Smith? Yes, sir. One and the same. Well, Ronnie, how did he know? Ronnie again hesitated. His breathing was labored. The continuation of my haircut was now a hopeless proposition. And with Mr. Ronnie visibly shaken, I sure didn't mind if he wasn't wielding that straight-edge razor on a part of me that could do some serious long-term damage with a slip of the hand. He swallowed hard and figured he might as well let out the news. The boys were bound to find out sometime. I noticed two of them stopped reading the papers and leaned forward. Smith came in here a few days ago. Seems that old man Parker had bet $500 on the Iron Bowl. Punt, Bama, punt, and all that. And Auburn surprised everybody with a big win. So Parker ended up in a poker game in a house near the Tennessee line, intending to win back his money. They smoked, drank, played poker well in the night. It wasn't going good for him. He lost all his money. Alexander Smith made sure of that. Bad draws of the hand combined with Smith's expertise. The next thing you know, old man Parker went broke. Seems Parker had handed over his football betting losses without his wife finding out. Now he's trying to sneak the money back into the cookie jar before she discovered it missing. But as I said, he doubled his problem 
when he lost another $500. About midnight, old man Parker thought of a way to restore some of his lost honor, even if he was broke. So he dramatically struggled to his feet and announced, I swear by the grave of Bear Bryant. That was met by a bunch of resistance. Oh, come on, Parker, don't be serious. You don't mean that. And Parker, don't say something you're going to regret. You know that's not a good thing to say. I'd grown up in a world of various Southern superstitions, like making an X on the windshield of a black cat ran across the road. But I'd never heard of swearing on a dead man's grave. It sounded serious. Leave me be, boys. I swear by the grave of Bear Bryant that if I lose the next hand, I'm going to drink me 12 Budweiser's in a row. You can't have my money because you already have all that. You don't want my clothes. Ain't some cheap game of strip poker. Besides that, they stink. Ha! No, sir. I'm going to submit to consecutive beer guzzling. But if I win, you boys are going to send me home with two cases of Budweiser. Deal? They continued to try to talk him out of it, but he wouldn't be persuaded. He held up his hands, persisted, and then said, Look, anyone here doesn't like it, they can hold their nose and go down to the bottom of Gunnersville Lake for all I care. You think I care? I really don't. Deal me in, boys. I'm feeling lucky, punk. So they did. On his first draws, the story goes, he got terrible cards. Threw in two, drew two, still terrible. Not long thereafter, Parker folded. All right, boys. I swore on the grave of Bear Bryant, and I'll do what I said. Bring me the buds. He popped the top on the first one and announced to Smith, This bud's for you. He downed it with a goofy grin. He wobbled again, but then he popped another and finished it off. Then a third. He popped the top on the fourth, took one swig, gasped and spewed. His eyes rolled back in his head and he collapsed backward like a 50-pound bag of flour. His head hit the concrete floor with a sickening, mighty thud. Blood started oozing out. Someone hollered to call an ambulance. Someone else said, does anybody know CPR? We got a problem here. Nobody knew CPR. Not sure it would have helped if they had. When the ambulance crew arrived, they checked him out. Didn't even work on him announced that he was dead. The coroner showed up and started his analysis, talked to the card players, at least those who were left. Some had fled the scene due to the quasi-illegal and murky nature of the game in that part of Alabama, and determined that old man Parker had died of a heart attack. The blow to the head might have contributed to his demise, but the coroner said he was probably dead when he hit the floor. City Barber got quiet. The only sounds heard were those outside the shop, of the occasional car horn, folks hollering at each other down the street, and some big birds bouncing around playing outside the plate glass window. Mr. Ronnie seemed relieved. It was like he'd been carrying this awful news on his chest and needed to get rid of it, but hadn't had the opportunity. I noticed Mr. Leroy just staring out the window from his perch on the shoeshine stand, doing so without expression. Finally, Milt Patterson spoke up. What a way to go. I didn't even know Parker was a beer drinker. I knew he ran around with some beer drinking buddies, but not him. I mean, I knew he took a swig now and then, but I thought he was mostly just friends with those kinds of guys. 
Wasn't he a member of the Baptist church for like 30 or 40 years? 52, someone offered. 52, the very mischief. He was a deacon for what, 20 of those? 35 at least. 52 years in church and 35 as a deacon? Who knew he had these problems? His wife did, but never told anybody. Didn't want to damage his reputation. Can't say that I blame her. My haircut resumed. I hadn't really needed one anyway, but it was Saturday and I had dutifully trooped off to get one. Mr. Ronnie finished me up quickly, dusted off my hair cut and sheet, and then took my money without saying a word. As I got out of the chair, I looked around the room at a bunch of stunned old-timers. One of their ranks had fallen, and they weren't sure how to process it. Time would only tell if the revelation of old man Parker's demise would sully the reputation of the biggest Tide fan anyone had ever known. At least I would know the reason for his funeral. Loyalty to the Crimson Tide and betting on their unending success had done him in, as they say. It became clear to me as I grew up that college football was some kind of life or death proposition for a whole bunch of folks. Literally.